2: And welcome to the NXT review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamlet and Michael Sidgwick to look back on everything that happened on last night's episode of NXT. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast from for daily wrestling podcasts where we not only review NXT but also Raw, SmackDown, AEW, Dynamite, pay per views. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week, complete with a bloody good quiz, of course on wrestling culture, As I said, they're joined by Hamlet and Sidgwick to review the go-home episode of NXT ahead of TakeOver 36. What do you reckon, Hanfler?
3: Um, I reckon that maybe NXT Redemption really has come back because this was a show where interesting things happened on a show that wasn't interesting, if that makes sense. This wasn't some sort of two-hour thrill ride, but it wasn't short on talking points, some of them accidental, some of them weird. A couple of them tied to storylines. I found this a total slog with these occasional bizarre flashpoints that I've f- like found myself looking forward to getting into with you two. Awfully strange episode. This
4: I can't disagree with that. My prevailing take: I'll give you two on a functional level. Yes, this did the boring things to get people to take over as a measured against the actual lowest curve possible. Did this function to build interest theoretically in the upcoming takeover as a go home show? Yes, it did. Did I enjoy any of it? Yes, I did. Actually, there mm. were three things that I really, really, really enjoyed on this episode of NXT, so I have to consider it a triumph. Yeah, even quite It, was, like, it. Was, was merely good.
2: Yeah, I think I think there was yeah there were still issues with this show uh, unquestionably, but there were like you say lots of. Talking points, and they did a they did a decent job of, of selling us on the the show on Sunday. Let's let's dive straight into it. fact let's talk about the uh, the opening match because we previewed quite a lot yesterday that just didn't happen. Um, we uh, we obviously were looking ahead to the cruiserweight championship match between uh, Roderick Strong and Kashida, but um, Mike Malcolm Bivins and the Diamond Mine uh, are out to start the show to announce that Kashida uh, has not been medically cleared to wrestle, so they're going to issue an open challenge for anyone who wants to face Roderick Strong and Ilya Dragunov ahead of. His match with Walter, of course, for the NXT UK Championship on Sunday. Thought he'd have a bit of a warm up bout with Roderick Strong. And I thought, well, this is going to be an absolute battering. And that is exactly what we got. We got, you know, technically brilliant wrestling from these two, but also them just beating the crap out of each other. They did not hold back from chops to, uh, I suppose, I I sort of missed what exactly caused it, but an errant elbow. It was great to see these two working together. I like that bit where Dragunov goes for the stomp off the top, but then uh, Strong moves and he rolls through and then he hits him with a knee strike. And then obviously uh, we've got a bit where they're on the outside and Dragunov gets distracted. So Strong hoys him into the steps and hits a backbreaker on the ring apron as we go into the ad break. Dragunov's going for these uh, German suplexes, a series of them. And then I, I assume this was where it happened. Strong's just sort of throwing elbows behind him to break free of it. And all of a sudden, Dragunov... And I, I said this on the news, I know I'm a sadist, but I thought it just so added to this match. Dragunov is pissing blood out of his forehead, sort of just above his right eye or, or somewhere around there. He's, he's covered in claret uh, and it just... I mean, his chest was already battered, as if it didn't needed to be before Sunday. Uh, he goes for that uh, torpedo Moscow or Moscow or whatever they call it exactly. Um, strong counters with a knee strike and uh, dragging off, bounces off the ropes and just hits his finisher anyway. Gets the uh, gets the the, the the three count uh, quite right in terms of rolling into uh, takeover with a bit of momentum. Calls out Walter, uh, who just completely no sells it and doesn't come out after the match, but. I mean, what a start, Hamlet this was.
3: Yeah, I mean, undeniable drama by the end as a result of that accidental blood because what a what a cut it was, you know? Sometimes the wrestling will throw you a gift in this regard. It was late in the match anyway, so you got just enough of it before it was taken away from you, so it'll kind of be this memory that you have. We talk about that a lot with these NXT matches that are capital G, capital W, good wrestling. What will you actually remember from? You'll probably remember Roderick Strong versus Elia Dragunov. And in terms of a build for Dragunov-Walter... Not just because Dragonov actually won, but this was infinitely better than last week's attempt. Mm-hmm. I don't know what was on the docket for Dragonoff this week, because they basically had to have him bounce back from a defeat um, and talk about how, oh, well, I got the last word and I held the belt up, so I'm going to beat you, Walter. But everybody like was dunking on it because it deserved it. This week, it wasn't just the blood, but it was the win. It was a cool choice for a, a mystery point, It was as if you can decide in headcanon that Dragonov wanted the open challenge because he wanted to finish what he started last week and actually prove himself for the win. He wasn't just going to call out Walter. He was going to show that he could get it done as well. It's less than ideal for Diamond Mine, but so was Tyler Rust getting released. Um, so I think they'll be able to recover from this if they do want to revisit Strong and Kushida for the build. Um, and they just hit each other incredibly hard. In I think Sidgwick's referred to the Walter match before as well, like all the safe places. Um, there was plenty of that here as a tease to what I imagine we'll get. I am as invested as I possibly can be about Dragon off walter 2 in that CWC. I've got concerns that the CWC is not going to be as good an environment as the BT Sports Studio was. Yep. But this felt like a tester for it. And in that sense, like it was another success. Really, really
4: good. Yeah, I love this. I thought it was really, really, really strong. Um, one complaint. So I'm not sure if we'll get to it later on on the show because it was like all of 20 seconds. But piss off Malcolm Bivens. I don't want to tell Malcolm Bivens to piss off. I really like him. But when he said, oh, that didn't count mm. because Dragunov isn't a cruiserweight, well, what is he? He's a welterweight then? He's not a heavyweight. <laughs> Are you, I mean, he's shorter than Strong. And it would be a bitch AF thing to say had, for example, Roderick Strong lost clean in the middle to Volta, like a, a giant colossus of a bloke. If Roderick Strong, after that, had said, oh, well, he's not a cruiserweight, so it didn't count, I would still feel like, oh, well, you're not this hard MMA bastard, and two, you're insulting my intelligence by basically saying the thing I've spent 13 minutes or so watching doesn't matter. You just, not
3: just said I'm not sanctioning that open challenge, and then Dragon have been like, no, I want to fight him anyway. And then that would have been a detail that would have totally justified that defence, wouldn't it? Yeah. Throw, oh, I'm not sanctioning your open challenge, you don't run it around here, and then Dragon says, no, no, I'll fight him. And they, don't think about,
4: they do not think about preserving our intelligence they just hmm. insult it and so what so that annoyed me as a detail look i'm not gonna have any thought outrage on behalf of diamond mind who are pretty much knackered like as it is so it doesn't really feel like an earnest criticism other than the result in the opponent which they could have avoided doesn't feel like an earnest criticism from mine them insulting my intelligence. Did this match, however, was pretty great. Mm. Very, very, very good to great. Um, just they leathered the piss out of each other. Those chops were disgusting. Those mm. chops were deliberate. Those chops echoed what's going to happen to Dragonov on Saturday. And he reversed the strikes with his very intricate technical game. There was high drama at the end of The Blood, of course. I bet you dragonoff was delighted that he busted himself open here <laughs> because it really embodied his character and what mm. they've been very, very overtly telling you. He loves pain. He loves pain because it teaches him to absorb it and it fires him up. And there are few better in the world at Roderick Strong than administering it. So it was very dramatic. The work was very, very good. The striking was legitimately, like, lip-pursing and the fact that I just genuinely felt it really well arranged, really well thought out, potentially at the last minute, in that it proved as much as last week didn't that Dragunov stands a chance. Mm. This is all sublime. Some of the the ways that Dragunov trapped Roderick Strong's arms to evade those strikes was just beautiful pro wrestling at its best, this. So I still think they have probably got better in them, but, I mean, Probably put this together in like hours. So fair play at them. I thought this was really strong. And there's there's no way that
2: cuts healing before Sunday, is there? And even if it doesn't, they'll try and keep it open.
3: Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> gonna literally chop his head open. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Very excited for that. Uh we got the prime target for Cole O'Reilly three. It's a prime target. We're not really going to say much about it. Go and watch it. It it did very well in terms of hiding all the negatives and accentuating the positives of of this grudge match ahead of the weekend. But it's a prime target. We're we're not going to talk too much about it. Instead, we'll talk uh, about Hit Row. They came out. uh, They were furious yet again uh, following a couple of weeks ago uh, Santos Escobar stealing Swerve's grill and then they burnt his mask last week and outcomes uh, outcomes were bfab top dollar chantley the adonis uh they you know calling out uh the God of the fantasma when santos escobar appears on the video screen he's in the most dangerous place in all of nxt the car park and he said you know what i understand where you're coming from i've i've gone too far in this grill so i'll tell you what swerve you come on your own man to man Uh, and uh, there's no one else. There's definitely no one else here. Come and collect your grill, and and I'll give it back to you. Uh, And Swerve tells his gang to stay in the ring, comes out to meet Escobar, and of course there is Raul Mendoza and uh, Joaquin Wild, who try to jump in from behind a brawl uh, Escobar uses the numbers game to start beating up Swerve and the rest of Hit Row pile outside and we have a brilliant brawl uh, Top Dollar just looked ridiculous, just hoying one of them into that rolling steel door um, B-Fab had like a bat or a lead pipe or something, she was twatting people with that, eventually the numbers game catches up to Legado of Fantasma because there's four of Hit Row and and uh, Scott takes his grill back. But, yeah, just reiterating what we've always said, the car park is, is lethal in NXT, Sige.
4: It is, and Swift Scott should know better if I am to take him seriously as a baby face. Like, what's his character? Like, What is it? I don't get it. This was him basically doing Drake Maverick stuff, like this plucky <laughs> baby face who's got more guts than sense. <laughs> I suppose. Look, the brawl was actually really well done. Yeah. I thought so. I didn't really care that Swerve Scott was an idiot. Most characters in WWE are, so I guess I'm desensitized to it. Brawl was strong. I'm somewhat amped for the trios match next week. If they can possibly imbue some of the energy of this brawl into it, I'm thinking: is there any stip attached to it? Some kind of like tornado, no DQ. I have
2: no idea, actually. No. So no I like either. this
4: brawl, and I would like to see it. Folded into a proper wrestling match, like a wild one at that. Um, yeah, this is all right.
3: Maybe there's no stipulation because I, I sort of felt like Beefab stole the show here a little bit with the pipe. Mm. I thought she was like the best aspect of the brawl. I wasn't so hot on this. There's there's been something bothering me about this feud. Um, as much as I think it's probably been effective in getting hit roll over the line as baby faces, um, I don't know, it, it still all feels a little bit staged. You know, I like I don't really like musicals because I find it a bit weird when characters break into song. It's just a, a strange difficulty you have in musicals when when that bit happens. And that feels a little bit like this. Like when they start their fight, it does it feels a little bit west side story, like they're all gonna stop briefly, sing about hitting each other and then go back to hitting each other. Um and I don't know if it's just the way it's like shot or like when everybody's paired off with everybody else. That's what I liked about like again, B Fab and the pipe. It was the only bit that felt to me like authentic, like these were actually wanting to get at each other in this dangerous car park rather than being carefully, you know, managed by Shawn Michaels doing an outside broadcast or something like that. <laughs> um, the, the match will be good though. Um, yeah, it, this was as effective as it needed to be, I suppose. So I've got his grill back in me.
2: Yeah,
4: it's part of the NXT problem is like, I enjoyed this brawl. I thought elements of it well done. I thought elements of it conveyed certain aspects of certain performance characters with Top Dollar, which we mentioned, but I'm not going to think about this ever again. Until next week. <laughs> next broadly, is just irrelevant, which never helps anything.
2: Uh, So earlier on in the show, we saw uh, L.A. Knight uh, being taken care of by his butler. Be Cameron Grimes, baby! Just dabbing his brow. Uh, And he spots Josh Briggs and uh, L.A. Knight offers him $10,000 to basically beat up Cameron Grimes and weaken him ahead of their match at TakeOver. Uh, So then we had the match, Cameron Grimes versus Josh Briggs. Uh, Ted DiBiase was a ringside and uh, bet 20 grand on Grimes beating Briggs. Uh, in the midst of him saying that, he hit him with a huge side slam and you thought, oh, Dad, you're losing any more money. But uh, yes, Grimes, despite the fact he was resting in his butler suit, uh, had the counter for everything Briggs did. He did, did that mint-flipping belly to belly or whatever it is that he does which always looks fantastic uh, hit Briggs with the cave-in one two three uh, Grimes was celebrating ripping off his butler suit and Ted DiBiossi was going to collect his money from LA Knight who just chinned him and then hit uh, Grimes with his finisher on the outside to close this off what did you think Hamfler?
3: Yeah, I thought it was fine um, they've, they've arrived at the match Probably at the right time, because there's clearly like not a lot else left to do. You could feel the energy was a bit lower with all the characters at this point. They've done about as much as they can do with the story. I got a decent amount of faith in the match and the payoff and the moment at the end when it all happens at TakeOver. So they haven't, you know, they kind of haven't, although it feels like it's run out of fuel, it's not completely broken down or anything. I, I just don't know if um, after the fact, <laughs> I, I've kept thinking that after this, LA Knight and Cameron Grimes are both going to be in stronger positions as a result of this feud. And I'm starting to doubt that for LA Knight. I'm wondering if this is maybe the peak of his powers and Grimes going forward as a like Grimes going forward as a baby face. And I thought he looked great. This is only a couple of minutes, but like I like getting to see Cameron Grimes have these matches because he does, it's you know, like that that suplex that you described, and like the is really popular, and one of these days that's going to win him like a really, really big match as well. Mm. Um still so there's a certain specialness to seeing Cameron Grimes for me. Um now they've actually turned him. But I'm not so sure where you go with LA Knight after the fact. This was all okay though. It, like, it wasn't standout stuff as part of the angle, but there's no need for any of that at this point.
4: I can tell that they put a decent amount of thought in with the bet and how the bet further got Cameron Grimes over with the fact that he was someone placed a bet on him to win when he's in a defensive position. Oh, that's quite nice. And like watching him work in that outfit, just look like an idiot. Mm. I understand that he's kind of playing one, but. I don't know. I disagree with Hampson because I thought it builds dynamism. I thought the Spanish fly looked a bit awkward. The cave in, I was just looking at the ruffles of his trousers rather than <laughs> like the sudden impact of the strike. Um, yeah, this is fine. Ready for it to end. But they should really be commended for doing some proper, entertaining, legit funny skits on NXT mm. TV. They've really crafted a storyline. The storyline reduced to its core component as a vehicle to get Cameron Grimes over as a baby face, which is a really great idea because he connects with this crowd. All of it, I think, will look back at about a month or two and think, you know what, that was really well done. Mm. I'm ready for it to end.
3: Andrade, I- Miz, and Cameron Grimes, like, get wrestlers back in tight. And out yeah, with please 12. get wrestlers That's back the- <laughs> in tight.
4: Andrade, shows your legs. Andrade, <laughs> this body guy thing. No one's taking it seriously as a
2: power guy. Just sprint, knees for someone's <laughs> head. Too much to ask. I will say I really liked Cameron Grimes's promo later on, uh, but we'll get to that in due course because before that, we had, I also really enjoyed this, Johnny Gargano, Candice Ray. they're backstage, Indy was there. She's got gloves on just like Dexter Lumis and she's talking uh, about loads of dates because they have to cram them in because of what's coming later. They've been on loads of dates. This isn't like a massively expedited relationship. Um, uh, and Candice and Johnny were just brilliant here. Uh, Candice furious that they have their own shirt now and as Indy's going through the dates they've been on, he says, "Oh, we've been hiking." Gargano says, Ugh. "We were, we, were, we went, we rode our bikes. Ugh. We went in a hot air balloon." Okay, that, that's pretty cool. Brilliant from Johnny Gargano here. Um, they're going to get matching tattoos. Uh, Indy Hartwell hints about taking their relationship to the next level. And uh, Dex Loomis shows up. Johnny Gargano says, "Basically, how long have you been stood there?" Uh, and says, oh, "Oh, did you like, uh, did you like that cake last week?" Or- Put in your face, and she went, Yeah, when well, you got, some pie afterwards, talk about sex. Uh next year is Dexaluma said a twat. Well I, this popped me big. Uh what do you think, Sid? I twat things
4: are funny, like <laughs> uh this is like again. I talk about this quite often. Is this funny? If this was a three-camera sitcom, what do you think? Oh, it's funny this. What do you think? Oh, Christ. Uh, Melissa Joan Hart didn't get much work after Sabrina the Teenage Witch. That's, <laughs> you know that stuff she does with Joey from Blossom. Like, this oh, is the God, level I. of comedy we're at. Like, innuendos, not particularly great humour. You still have room for pie after. What pie. It's... arid read for wrestling, I guess. But I've got very dark, surreal, off-kilter tastes in comedy. So... Yeah, it's arid. It's, it's, I mean, it's, this brand's dead, and this is one of the reasons why, but I don't not enjoy it.
3: Careful in America because funny means bum, not <laughs> you mean. <minge. laughs> um, I'd li- I, pussy I like to see a little fanny
4: ball. till it turns blue.
3: What? <laughs> <laughs> um, I uh, I like that. I have like I did. I, I, that's uh, that was that he gets me every now and then. Got it with these little sly ones.
4: Did I you say it was brawler? Balling. I
5: think
3: he said that's to Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he did sort of pop me a little bit there. Um, it's all right, isn't it? A little bit of the match made me laugh as well. Yeah. I, I kind of resent them for it. A bit mm. of the match really got me.
2: We'll, we'll get to that in a second because we have to talk before that hamlet about Io Shirai and Zoe Stark. Zoe Stark just wants to be friends and Io just goes, can just defend the tag titles and just leave it at that? I mean, at least it wasn't a skit in a restaurant.
3: Aye, Christ, like what are you supposed to think? I just don't get it. Like, Io Shirai's not wrong for being... Should we just concentrate on the tag team titles? Mm. But she's still a bit of a dick for... Like, what's Stark done that's so awful? Like, Io Shirai in the last few months has befriended enough wrestling babyfaces to put a bin on her head and jump on the heels. <laughs> she'd, she'd happily tag team with Poppy, if given the chance, whenever she turns up in NXT. I don't get why she... Like, she turned babyface. Have they forgotten that? Is it just... Sean and Paul's bloody nobody's, like they think they were too cool for school, even in 2006. So it's like, uh, this is what's gonna really get you over as a baby face is hating everybody and making people (laughs) resent her. And even if they're setting up for the angle, like they've done that, like if if there's a turn, they've done that at the very origin of this unit, this whole thing of like, you know, eventually Stark would have kind of grew to resent her. She's, this. I hate how thick they are. If Stark ever turns, it's going to be justified. Because mm. it's going to be like, well, I, you're a complete arsehole for months and months and months and months. That's too much justification for the heel. You're supposed to have a little bit, but ultimately you're supposed to think, ah, but that's not enough. You shouldn't have done that. Mm. I'm starting to think, oh, I'd be getting pretty sick of this as well with the tag in champions.
4: I'm getting sick of it, I'll tell you that. It's absolutely woeful. It. It's absolute, woeful material. Yeah. I don't know if you meant to think, hey, those crazy kids have got a bit of chemistry. One doesn't like the other. One like it. It's like, okay, bro, it's miles more entertaining than this. And it's the exact same thing. Zoe Stark, I don't know if we're meant to think of her as sympathetic. I don't know if the restaurant skit was meant to think that she's... I don't A think it. She... well Yeah, there's that. <laughs> Is she meant to be selling the caustic dead deadpans as like... Punchlines is a joke, is like her inability to register things, much like Riddle's. Riddle's obliviousness is functioning as the punchline, right? Yeah. Everyone can see that Randy Orton's dick. Randy Orton's really good at the deadpan. And Riddle's obliviousness is meant to function as the light relief, the comedic relief. Like Zoe Stark doesn't have the personality for this. It's the oddest thing. It's the monkey's paw stuff for mm-hmm. getting. Um, for us saying, you know what, you should actually build proper storylines around um, Japanese women in NXT. And this is the monkey's paw curling because they can't do anything.
3: <laughs> they've, not, they've not even defended the belts yet, have they? They guys need tag
4: teams, is there?
3: You know what, I'd probably really take up in-ring game, having matches.
4: <laughs> yeah, it's yet another indictment of where we're at with NXT. At least last year, when they were like pretty much annihilating the integrity of the Rhea Ripley character... People still gave a toss about the performer underneath it, that there was a little bit of outrage or sadness, or at the very least, there was a little bit of, haha, you can't even get her over. How rubbish are you, WWE, from the usual people, sometimes me. <laughs> no one cares that Yushirai is in a terrible role right now. Mm. There's not even any like conversations to be had in terms of like mocking it. Like, Jesus Christ, it's ice cold. This, no wonder, but Vince Spockman hates it
2: Well, let's move on to the highlight of the show. Uh, that being Dex Loomis and Indy Hartwell teaming together, to take on Robert Stone and Jesse Camille at Frankie Monet, uh, briefly at ringside for this one. Uh, the story of the match was Robert Stone just is no potential opposition for Dexter Loomis. effectively bounced off him. I mean, he looked great whilst doing it. My word. I mean, his ponytail, his physique, his gear. he just, just has no physical impact on someone like Dexter Loomis. Uh, and I mentioned Frankie Monet, she early on in an attempt to help Robert Stone grab Dexter Lumis's leg and got pulled into the ring. So she could get kicked out as we went to break. Um, so uh, Jessica Mir does get some offense in on Indy Hartwell. She's uh, controlling it, but then she gets to the uh, ropes uh, after a submission attempt and tags in Dexter Loomis, who just batters Robert Stone. And uh, you have, uh, the heels jumping into to, to save each other from from pinfalls <laughs> at some point dexter loomis is on the outside and robert stone goes for this big dive onto him and just splats on the floor Gets nowhere near him uh, yeah, For but slapstick he's, he's i re- love robert stone for that sort of thing um so jessica mir is also on the outside so she twats um Dex Loomis that causes Hartwell to to fire up to batter about the ringside and then uh, they put a signature silent submission finishes on on both both of them as as Indy Hartwell gets the submission victory here. Um, prior to the match, you had a little nod back and forth with Beth Phoenix and she. Uh, oh, before I forget, actually, shout out to Jake 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 on Twitter who quite rightly suggested a brilliant thing that they should have done here, which was Indy Hartwell and Dex Loomis tagging and out via kisses rather than. To you know, hitting each other's hands, which would have been a great idea. That but post match, Indy Hartwell rolls to the outside. Looks like she's having a little post match chat with Beth Phoenix, but actually, Beth slips her something. She rolls back into the ring, gets down on one knee, proposes to Dex Loomis with a garish ring. He accepts, they kiss, they got engaged. We've got a bloody wedding on our hands, Michael Hampler. Wedding's brilliant.
3: Um, WB no that they get ratings as well which again could be a sign that uh Bruce and Vince and Big Johnny have rode in on their ratings horses trying to save the show um but I genuinely I'm looking forward to it um you know we've every week it's what next for these guys and the weddings come up as a as an option before as a destination at least um it can't not be great that whole thing I really really like this match um they had a job on their hands here the women were instructed to work a serious match against the backdrop of the men working a ludicrous one. That was a hard task. And I thought they absolutely sailed through it. I don't know how this was as good as it was. That dive spot was mm. really funny. Like an NXT is criminally low on good patter and good gags. That was really, really funny. Like an elegantly constructed joke of a wrestling spot in the middle of the, the portion of the match that was supposed to be funny. You know, the, the Dexter Lemus and Robert Stone interactions. Um, like, this, the work was basic, don't get me wrong. Like, the, the stuff that was actually going on was nothing to write home about. But if you think about what they were trying to do with this match, like, a total, total overachievement legitimately impressed me with this. And you got this payoff that, again, is another one of those talking points that we're talking about. People are genuinely interested in this index thing. They have been pretty much since the off. This was the natural place for it to go, as a, as wrestling romances do. And the wedding's going to be something huge to talk about, to preview, to review. And to to look back on and to kind of like try and predict the fun stuff they're going to do with it, couldn't have loved any of this more.
4: I really enjoy watching it. Thought the appraisal of the women's work was a bit generous. I thought some of it was like <laughs> really bad, like really really bad. Um, but the goddamn dive—it wasn't just the dive, right? It's like a favorite thing about Robert Stone's Steven Seagal inspired get up <laughs> is that Steven Seagal over the years has been exposed as a total fraud. He's this obese narcissist who actually can't really do martial arts <laughs> but in a bid to prove it to himself have you ever seen the footage of these exhibitions yeah where steven seagal says like, he's got these he's this big fat bastard he's got these like like people who can take bombs effectively for him and he just goes hey and it's like just that he just lifts his arm a little bit these people are bumping like 2.0 slash like, Everise or like any kind of comedic j- enhancement talents you like. And it's just Steven Seagal goes, yeah, that's how hard I am. <laughs> the mere choice of getting worked by Steven Seagal in 2021 is exactly beautifully consistent with what an idiot Robert Stone is. Mm. I could not have loved that gear choice. Mode. It looked fantastic with the ponytail and the abs. His timing was absolutely expert. That goddamn dive spot. I cackled. I genuinely howled <laughs> when I saw that. I was reminded, in fact, of my dad. My dad has got this very wholesome laugh when something just pops him out of nowhere. You go, ah! <laughs> like well, I did the exact same thing. Just what an idiot. What an irresistible idiot Robert Stone was in this match.
2: Yeah. Future 24-7 champion right there. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he was the bit that Sid mentioned earlier. with was a insane. I did like the bit where he's like, "Don't talk to him. You talk to me." To uh, Paul McKenzie Mitchell, but yeah, he uh, excused the loss for Robert Stone. Talk,
4: so you know, talk to me.
2: <laughs> <laughs> he said, uh, dragon offs the heavyweight, not cruiserweight." So uh, we still got a title shot. That doesn't count. That was a real quiz, etc., etc. Oh,
4: Kiss my ass. Kiss my balls.
2: Um, And then we got the uh, face-to-face, well not face-to-face, the the split-screen interview with Raquel Gonzalez and Dakota Kai building their title match on Sunday. All the usual very generic sort of stuff here. You're envious. You're a snake. You're too big for your britches. You're ungrateful. I'm going to whoop your ass at all costs. You're dreaming. You're going to call me champion on Sunday. Good luck with that sidekick. I taught you everything. This kind of did nothing for me, to be honest, Sid.
4: No, total boilerplate stuff. That didn't actually make that much sense because right Gonzalez, actually, I'm smarter than you because I knew, LTST, that when you turned on Tegan Knox, I knew what to expect from you one day. So why did he spend all that time with that? <laughs> why did he spend all that time with that? I'm a smart one. I've been waiting for an attack, which actually happened for a year. What? This is absolutely boilerplate material, plot holes, pretty bad performances. It was like nestled away, and it lasted all of a minute. It was barely hyped. Like this match is genuinely a shame. Like it's a shame that it's all come to this because it was really good for a while, and now it's they uh, they,
2: they could have a great match on Sunday. It's just the build's been pretty from from what we could have pitched. It's been very weak, hasn't it, Sid?
4: Yeah, they've lost faith in it is my overriding thing. They've lost faith. I don't care as much as the fans did. And that is terrible promotion in principle.
3: This feud is the waterfall in the Dungeon of Doom because it's not hot. (laughs) Um, But maybe, maybe the match will benefit from drastically lowered expectations because Dakota, uh, not Dakota Kai, sorry, Raka Gonzalez could sort of do with one of those Mm. Um, when expectations have been high. She's kind of let the side down a bit as champion. So hopefully this is the one saving grace from, yeah, a big disappointment.
2: Where's Vink? Well, he's up next, except he's called Duke Bloody Hudson now. He was facing Carmelo Hayes in the uh, other semifinal of the NXT breakout tournament. Uh, the story of this match, obviously, Hudson, the bigger man, uh, was just in control for the most part, but Carmelo Hayes is just, oh, he's just a sensational wrestler. Um, each time, send each other outside the ring. The second time, it's Hayes sending Hudson out there. Hits a DDT on the apron on Hudson. Um, Hayes hit La Mystica. Uh, And then came off the top with that flying guillotine leg drop thing. Looked wonderful as well. Uh, And Carmelo Hayes, not what we predicted this, beats Duke Hudson. He goes through to the final to face Odyssey Jones. And post-match, he uh, has a thing at the top of the ramp where he says he called his shot at the beginning of this tournament. He was going to make the finals. Um, That's not enough for him now, though. He has got to face the final boss next. But surprise, Odyssey Jones. Plot twist. I'm the final boss. Out comes Odyssey Jones. He's all pumped up. He says the universe is going to sound the alarm next week. They go back and forth jawing ahead of the final. Uh, I've really quite enjoyed this match and I'm very excited for that final, Hamlet. Yeah, fair enough. Like
3: the kind of subverted expectations of the, the big lads match we maybe all thought it was going to lead to. Um, Here's in, in NXT's defence a little bit. He was like hotly tipped at the start of all this. And I guess this bracket, um, you know, I won't speak for you guys, but kind of allowed me to forget about that, because it just looked like the Hudson route to the final seemed assured. Um, match was decent. Uh, the I was a little bit scared by that apron DDT because I don't know, like, if uh Vink was all there after the fact. Where's Vink? Even he doesn't know because he just took a really terrifying looking DDT. Um, but they gone, they kind of like finished the match soon enough after the fact that there wasn't much danger to be had afterwards. Um, so they probably got away with one maybe there. Uh, hi, the final's not bad. I never really liked those ramp face-offs, because it sort of feels like it's, I don't know, it's like it's sucking the energy out of the animosity between them. Like, they both want this, and I understand it's not a blood feud, it's a matter of respect, and it's a tournament final. But, like, I don't really want to be reminded that they're, they're kind of, like, almost, like, matey patter at this point. Like, this should be everything to them. Um least final, though, the match should be fine.
2: Yeah.
4: Uh, I wasn't high on this at all. I just can't escape how ironic this is. They're not breakout stars. <laughs> no one's out there on Twitter or comment sections or whatever talking about how they've been impressed by this breakout star. He's the real breakout star. It's like not one of these matches has had a moment that even approaches what Dante Martin did on Dynamite last week, for example. That was a breakout mm. star performance. Like It's none of that. I've been told and I haven't been shown realistically one bit. I mean, it's Fine, broadly, the action. And I think this was, I thought it was really clunky in places. You could tell that Carmelo Hayes is well beyond Vink as a worker. Mm. Um, dynamic just sort of came a cropper, particularly on that apron spot, but I thought it was clunky as well. And ultimately, you can't just have some middling grade matches on telly and call it a breakout star because what you're basically doing is your job now Hmm. such as the standard of 2021, this whole thing's done really nought for me, if I'm being brutally honest.
2: I think I think there's certainly obviously something, uh, and considering the way he looks, obviously WWE will do something with someone like Duke Hudson, so uh, he's got something there, and uh, I, I, I really like the dynamic of, of uh, Carmelo versus Odyssey Jones next week. For me, I'd have Carmelo victorious before the summer's out, I'd make haze while the sun shines. Uh, Ted DiBiase was in the back with... (laughs) Here we go, baby! (laughs) Moving quickly along. Um... (laughs) Ted DiBiase goes to apologise to Cameron Grimes, and he says, you don't need to apologise to me, Ted. Uh, You know, I'm the one who got carried away with all this money. I dropped the ball uh, for you, but after TakeOver, they're both going to be fighters up. They're both going to be million-dollar champions going... Dude, he rips his shirt off and, uh, and storms off. But Ted DiBiossi laughs and he's impressed and says, that's my Cameron. I really liked Cameron firing up here. What did you think, Sid? I
4: think it was canny kind of enough. Pure ham. Oh, yeah. I, like I like that from Cameron. Hammering Grimes. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, it's just sort of bolt on to the match, really, wasn't it? This, um, they've done absolutely everything they possibly could for this match on, uh, on Sunday at TakeOver.
2: Uh, right, then we got a title match on this show. Uh, MSK defending the uh, NXT Tag Titles against Imperium. And the match kind of went exactly the way we want, wanted it and expected it to go. Uh, Imperium trying to ground these two guys who are just... I mean, they're breakout stars, Sid. They are the ones who've just just completely uh, burst through the screen. and uh, One of the real, real great moments of, of NXT this year. Um, yeah, Imperium working over Carter and Lee and uh, they, they eventually get to, to tag in Lee and they run wild and they go for stereo dives, but Imperium catch both of them and stereo suplexes on the floor. Um, they get a near fall off, off a uh, exploder in the corner by Marcel Bartel. Uh, Carter gets the hot tag, just Brilliant. He's such a great, fired up baby face. Uh, but Walter appears at ringside, distracts the referee. That allows Imperium to regain the advantage. Uh, and they set up, looks like they might win the match. They might win the tag titles. They set up for their big finisher, uh, climbing up the turnbuckles. But then Ilya Dragunov runs out, starts brawling with Walter. That distracts them. That allows MSK to hit that blockbuster heart attack combo thing um on Fabian Eichner. Carter cradles in one, two, three. Walter brawls with Drag- Dragunov after the match msk tries to make the save and walter just goes no lays both of them out um that allows dragon to recover he beats her walter he gets in the ring starts brawling with imperium um and knocks both of them down and turns turns around it's just one of those you know i'm not a fan of like the ko punch for example by big but just just like right, that's you fabian Knight right that's you marcel Bartel wham, just a one-shot, just completely lays out Dragonov. Walter stands over him and then goes, nah, I'm going to choke him out as well. Uh, and then they stand tall. Yeah, good stuff, this pamphlet.
3: Yeah, I thought all of this was a load of fun. Um, I got just about what I needed from MSK Imperium, mainly because I like the strengths of the double teams from mm. both teams as well. The double dive, double catch spot was really good. Um, the double baseball slide. Kind of like forcing Imperium to be ever so slightly more entertaining than just like their heat sequences are so often just like tag followed by a boring move, tag followed by a boring move done with all the victors, if I can summon with my sore throat. Um, and I thought they were kind of dragged into uh, MSK's formula a little bit here in the most welcoming of ways. Uh, it never really dragged, uh, the runtime felt about right like what, less than 15 minutes something absolutely perfect for like a tv tag title defense because like the audience can't get tired from the high spots and you what you get is a relatively short heat sequence in the middle before you get uh, what feels like a race to finish because of the way msk do it so just a, I thought like a really pleasingly constructed tv tag match and then no complaints whatsoever with the the walter stuff at the end Walter presented as this monster, as the reason that everybody looks over their shoulder whenever Imperium are in town, because he's this guy that can do bad things to people. Um, thought they it they kind of they 50-50 Walter and Dragonov in the build, but then their original match was sort of rooted in them being 50-50 and Walter just being ever so slightly better at the end. Mm. So I think that kind of makes sense as well. It, w- it wasn't on them. Just because we were a bit cross that Dragonov lost last week, it wasn't on them to make Dragonov this dominant challenger. It was to just show that he was at least at Walter's level, even if he ends the night getting choked out here. So I thought that was pretty effective as well. I don't think MSK suffered from taking this beating. Maybe there's a one fun trios match in this after the fact as well, before Dragunov. Heads back to Enfield or wherever he goes when he loses the takeover or wins, I guess. But yeah, um, I like genuinely effective. All of this.
4: Ultimately, I'm glad I wasn't patronized with some kind of epic because I didn't get one. I got a nice, compact, all action tag team match, all functional, little spikes of excitement. I've seen way better from MSK, but you know, it's a TV match. Ultimately, there's very little to grab onto. It felt like a spot fest without some kind of like brain melting spot that you just completely go delirious for. I had a fun time watching a good match, is my ultimate takeaway. I don't think I'll remember it in like best TV match of the year or anything of the sort, but it was probably what the show needed after like a very go homey, comedic middle portion.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, and give me Grizzles Young Vets next, please. Uh, I, did, I did read, I swear I read that Rich Holland was meant to be facing Timothy Thatcher this week. That didn't happen. Instead, he cut a promo alongside Pete. Sorry. We do. Um, Pete, I, I'd really like the fact Pete Dunn got a promo, basically slagging off Thatcher and Champer and ignoring them and stuff. And it just, you know, I'm from Derbyshire, close to Yorkshire as all sort of you know, mixed in together there. The bit where he handed over to Rich Holland and Rich Holland went, lovely. Oh I don't know why. That just made, I was so happy with that. Uh, he basically said he was going to, he'd fight through other people to get to a fight and that's exactly what he's going to do uh, to to fight Thatcher next week. He was impressed with bollocks on him, uh, but he said, Timothy Thatcher, I'll be seeing you. I, I just, I love him. I love Rich Holland. I've, I've completely changed my opinion on him through this and this promo alone, I think. See. Yeah,
4: loved you loved him the voice.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what it is. What I mean. what it's, is. It's, your, it's, it's either Rich Holland or you doing Jindam Hall. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Fine stuff. Good, I guess. I guess it's just a thing. I like hearing bollocks. Yes. Mm. American telly. That's good. He's got right bollocks on it. As you said.
3: Mick Fuller. He came out of that pay-per-view 99 and like called somebody a wanker. And you're like, oh, that's
4: Ooh, cool. That's good, that crack guy. That? Look, I like... Rough caricatures of men who can pop me and don't just do completely manufactured intensity, which leads us to the main event um, segue.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, lovely stuff. Yes, it was time for the main event, the face-to-face between Gary and Cross and Samoa Joe. Uh, Joe's out first, he says. It's time yet again to verbally eviscerate Cross in front of the world, but what's the point? He isn't here to hurt Cross's feelings because he's here to hurt Cross. Period. As the Joey's going to kill your chance, Uh, he tells Cross to tuck your clock in your back pocket and stroll your ass down here, young champion. In comes Cross, uh, who stands on the top of the entrance ramp, and uh, Cross says, "You still don't get it. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about us. This is about the future of this brand." And he calls out a security team to the ring, and groans from the crowd, and he says, "Oh, don't worry. They're not protection for me from you. It's protection." you from me <laughs> uh, and he says he's gonna drop joe real fast at takeover they square up in the ring joe snaps brawls with him security obviously tried to get involved joe just throws cross into security initially they brawl uh joe uh does a tope suicide through the ropes into cross and just just everyone uh and it's yeah it's this carnage around ringside as they can't be kept apart and the moment they clash, that they you know, tear through walls or or throw each other into the ring steps or whatever. Um, obviously, the security pull Joe off Cross. That allows Cross to recover and attack Joe, who's being held back. Uh, cross goes to suplex you onto the announce desk, but Joe counters. Um, the crowd are screaming in terror as they fly through barricades and what have you. And uh, they do it again, and they're just all security. Some of the wrestlers who've come out from the back to try and celebrate them, uh, to, to separate them, sorry, and the two men who just can't keep their hands off each other. They're just exhausted, laid out as the, as the show goes off the air, and Vic Joseph yells about these two. Anything goes effectively at Takeover on Sunday. Michael Sidgwick, carnage ahead of Takeover.
4: Yeah, there were two things I liked about this, and neither involved Karrion Cross. One, <laughs> I like it when Samoa Joe refers to Karrion Cross as young champion because I'm terrified at the prospect of turning 36 next month. But I'm still young in the mind of one person. I understand he's patronising him. I understand he's setting out the scene that he's like the elder badass figurehead of an older NXT era. I get it, I'm just being a dick. Hmm. It was awesome watching some more Joe do some more Joe stuff. Hmm. It really was class. Um, I really hope that that intensity, a real strain of it at last is channeled into a really short sprint of a match Mm. at TakeOver, which I honestly think we're going to get given what we are going to get which is 58 minutes of Cole (laughs) O'Reilly so if this is an accurate if this is an accurate advertisement for the match on Saturday, yes I think it's got every chance of succeeding and I'll be amped for this version of the match don't false advertise to me. I want to see carrying cross for more than ten minutes.
3: It's got to be short because we've seen everything else that these two can do to each other. Realistically, I wasn't mega high on this. To be honest, it's if you're going to do these types of brawls, um, I think it's imperative that you buy that you know they just cannot be separated you know those weeks where you st- will the start of a raw or a smackdown ahead of one of our reviews you're watching it like hang on am i watching last week's raw genuinely like, i need to double check that i'm not watching last week's episode because it's identical this was like watching the ending of a prior nxt like they've just had nothing uh they had no ideas they had no other way to book them other than to have a face-to-face that becomes a fight and um, that happened with carrying cross in his last title defense as well didn't he versus the five of them before the um in your house so I wasn't mega impressed with the premise or I wasn't dragged in by the brawl, but I do agree with the like the energy around Samoa Joe. He looks motivated. He looks like he wants to have the best possible short match he can have with Karrion Cross. And I do hope it is that I think it's for the to the betterment of the card on the night. Um Colin O'Reilly's going on last, isn't it? We know that's gonna happen. So you can watch this and then get yourselves off to bed and just catch Colin O'Reilly. <laughs> O'Reilly and Co. When you're in a better mood for it, because I just I, can't, I cannot see that not main eventing. There is no a um, time to go back to bed. I'm in, I'm in Britain, so <laughs> nothing Samoa Joe could say on the microphone before the brawl was as cutting as those Jeff Hardy chants that aren't going away either. So <laughs> what was the point in trying? And there was, I think there was a Where's Scarlet" chant I caught as well.
1: Where's Scarlet?
3: I one of my one of my new favourite things. Cynical as this may be, is uh, NXT fans. Of which I once considered myself one, but like NXT purists believing that the NXT that Vince McMahon is about to destroy or whatever is like the one from 2015 or something. Mm. Like there'll be a clip of the proposal from tonight or the you know the where Scarlet Chance or whatever, but I care. Thanks a lot, Vincent Bruce. Golden era is over and it's like oh, I it was over ages ago. <laughs> <laughs> what they're, they're destroying something, but it's not what you think they're destroying.
2: Yes. So there we go. The lead in to NXT Takeover this weekend. We'll, of course, be reviewing it on Monday. Myself and Michael Cedric Hamlet enjoying a well earned break from all of this bollocks, basically. Uh, and if you want to get that, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts. We'll be previewing dynamite as well later on. Plus, you can let us know your thoughts and Twitter questions, anything like that on Twitter at What Culture WWE Watch. Well, they can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamlet at Michael Hamlet. Follow Michael Cedric at. M. Sidgwick, follow me, at Adam Wilborn. As I said, follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. But this has been the NXT Review. My thanks to the Dudley boys. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon.
5: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50